Science of the Southland, Monday, November 7th, 2022. Mr. Grant, run me through some uh, tennis results here. Through some tennis results. Ooh, that's a curveball. I was expecting swimming. In terms of tennis, uh, we did have uh, women's tennis out in action, the ITA uh, Nationals. That is the fall draw-based championship for the ITA. Uh, Carol Lee represented in singles and doubles. Uh, in doubles, she was partnered up with Kate Sharabura, and they got things off uh, not that well. Uh, they fell 6062 uh, in doubles uh, to a, a duo from Illinois. But in much better news, uh, Carol Lee did uh, get three singles wins and advanced to the semifinals, uh, knocking off Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine, wow, I'm so bad at that, uh, UVA and UNC uh, on the way uh, to the semifinals where she fell to number one overall seed, reigning ITA All-American singles champion Fiona Crowley of UNC. UNC is very good. UVA is very good. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a tough tennis neighborhood, but a, a very good showing from, from Kara Lee. Let's move over to the men's side. You said Andrus Martin. He's alive. Yeah, he's back. I feel like we haven't seen much of him uh, this fall. Obviously, he's been Tech's uh, number one player for probably close to four years now. Uh, time all runs together. Uh, he was back in action. Singles champion on the weekend ran through the Tech fall invite draw. Uh, Marcus McDaniel also back in action notched a win. And uh, interestingly, Martin was paired with Sakdev on the doubles. That's different than last year. I think it's different than what we've also seen this fall. So clearly the lineups are fluid and uh, I believe they're at rest through the beginning of the spring. Uh, last couple of notes from our other sports on the flats. Swimming uh, had dual meets versus BC and Pitt. You're, way, you're nodding your head. No, 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 no. It wasn't two dual meets. It was one triangle meet. I love this sport. Uh, so many shapes. You get duels, you get triangles, you get quads. I've heard of pentas and hexes, but that's not really an NCAA thing. Uh, it was a triangle meet at home this past Saturday. BC and Pitt, uh, Boston College, bless their hearts. They sponsor a lot of sports, but it means that uh, the non-rev life is a bit tough for them, as we've discussed in a couple other non-rev sports in the, the past. sports ain't doing too well either, but that's besides hey. the point. Hockey. It's a hockey school. Uh, but uh, we did get first B cut of the year uh, for those that don't remember. Don't worry about what that means. We'll tell you if it becomes relevant at the end of the year. That was Denise Ertan in the mile. And Tech walked away with four wins, uh, two very expected over BC and two very good to see from Pitt. Uh, Pitt's pretty uh, much in our neighborhood in terms of ACC so far this year. So now rounding out the rest of the notes, a club hockey posted two losses to Embry-Riddle. On senior night this week, or senior night and senior weekend this past weekend. Uh, the last note that I have is women's basketball's opener is on Thursday. Uh, Thursday night, I believe, at 7.30. Nope, 7 p.m. Versus Georgia State at home. Uh, if you need preview information, we did a big preview last week for about an hour. We had an interview with... Uh, the assistant head coach, associate, associate. associate. I'm going to keep getting that wrong. Uh, <laughs> a offensive coordinator, Blanche. Yes, offensive, uh, offensive coordinator was that title tickles me, but that's just that's neither here nor there. Um, but yes, wins basketball opener on Thursday. There will be some preview stuff this week, so check out the site for that. Gentlemen, any other notes before we move on to the meat of today's episode? I would like to make one interesting observation. So far, the women have started their season uh, with a Clayton State exhibition and then Georgia State, while the men tip things off tonight against Clayton State. And then Saturday, uh, one of the first games over at uh, Georgia State's new building. So just a little bit of a weird parallel there. If you want to get really familiar with local uh, USG college basketball, this is your week for it. Also, that communication center looks very nice. It's part of that nice campus that they're building out right next to the Turner Field. We can I'm get intrigued. to that in the men's basketball preview because I got some thoughts there, too. Speaking of thoughts, I have a lot of them, and I know so does Jack, about Georgia Tech volleyball this past week. They went one and one, but they did not play the usual suspects that they would be taking losses to. They lost 3-1 at Miami. And then lost the first two sets to FSU and then clawed their way back into that one for a 3-2-5 set win. Jack, 
Walk me through that Miami game and sort of how turbulent it was for this team. It was, they were both my favorite team of the weekend and my least favorite team of the weekend at, at various points and of the many different teams and sports that I watched. Uh, Miami was, I mean, it was fine out the gate. Um, and they just, it was just four close sets more than anything, just inability to, it was, we've played a lot of those kind of sets where it'll get to like 15, 15, 17, 17, but we get, we get the last say of it and pull out a set win because we just can capitalize and we're the number, we were the number 10 team for a reason. Now we're 13. Um, and Miami just they just got those they just got those points. Um, if, if anything, it was just a, not necessarily a bad luck game, but just one where there was not the killer instinct to take it to take over, um, and things were not going right. And then as soon as we started against Florida State, it looked like we had just decided to just stop winning anything. Um, as soon as that match started, Bella D'Amico was in rough shape. It was just not she was not setting anything that was even a usable ball. Um, which is ironic considering that Julia Bergman set or tied the uh, single game kill record by the end with 38 and she got more than enough setting opportunities. Um, she had 77 attacks on the day. Um, yeah, no, so one, that, I kind of jumped the gun there on the Florida State part. The first two sets just looked bad. I mean, the first set was of the worst. I've We scored 15 points or I think we scored 15. Yeah, so far and away really bad by our standards. Um, and then the second set was better, but they it just wasn't there. We were not playing this like we should be. Um, and then I, I know before I started watching volleyball, they switched the second to third uh, period or set break from ten to five minutes, but it, and to just minimize the momentum shift, it still happened regardless. Though third set we played like we usually play. I could not believe what I was seeing. I thought that match was going to be done and we had nothing in the tank. Um, and we pulled out some we pulled out some crazy stuff over the next three sets. It was a very very gutsy win, yeah. and it's one that I was very frustrated with after the first two sets, where they just like you said they looked kind of dead in the water. I I'm interested to see, and, and Jake, you might have some more thoughts on this as well. Like, what changed in between the four sets that they played versus Miami, and then the two sets versus FSU? What what shifts were we able to see? that led to success in those last three sets? Well, I, I think it's interesting to flavor this with uh, with just some historic matchup. And obviously, you know, it's been two, yeah, two parts of three seasons since this happened. But Georgia Tech, you really saw struggle um, out of the gate uh, opening weekend of the COVID fall. Obviously, there's some, you know, it's, First match, delayed season, no non-con, all that, all that to uh, to get things, I guess, ramped up. But honestly, I feel like Miami's a team that we really haven't matched up well against across history. Whether that's you know their their uh, their staff uh, matches us or uh, their their players remember that. Uh, I feel like uh, they've always generally played Georgia Tech pretty tight, regardless of. Um, regardless of the situation, regardless of how their season's going and regardless of if, of if it's on the road or at home. Uh, again, that season opener was one where Georgia Tech came in to the season with some pretty high expectations off of the NIVC win there. Uh, in, in terms of just general other, other thoughts, right? Uh, I think you can't really write it completely off and say, hey, they just know us well. They match up well against us. Like you said, this is a team we have to beat. Uh, it, it's a team you you want to and need to beat uh, if, if you expect to host uh, at the end of the year. Uh, and uh, and I think that it's complemented well by the FSU game. Granted, this is one that I didn't personally uh, get to watch every single second of. And by that, I mean I was in a car, so scoreboard watching and, and streaming when I could. Um, but I think just the fact that Tech is something we've talked about hasn't had to really gut a lot of stuff out. Uh, not that they have folded in cases where they've been losing per se. Uh, uh, Pitt was a very gutty game, but you know, this was a game where Georgia tech had to win, right? It, it wasn't a gimme. It was one where they played five sets, five sets is a lot of volleyball. Um, and it's one where, whether it's a combination of their due, 
Uh, you can't be firing on all cylinders all the time. And three, just knowing how to put it away. That's something we've talked about a lot on this set is you take a lead and you get a point. And, and, and to that end, I'm about to argue against myself here before I let Jack back in. They gave up a 10 point set lead. Like that, that's not, putting the, that's not putting the game away. They did not lose the lead, but they did allow well, 10 point yeah. straight points. Yeah, that was annoying. I, Jack, please go because I will have a conniption if I have to discuss that. <laughs> Uh, a lot of what uh, they mentioned this in the broadcast, but like part of the big mantra for their for this team is evolution. Like that's one of their that's one of the pillars of the team is just how they're growing together. And that was also something Bergman mentioned in the post game interview, which is like that more that outside the win, what was really valuable is that that team together got to have of fighting fighting into a fifth set because they hadn't done that all year. They haven't had any chances to have a game like that really where they were already out of it or already putting it away and had more than enough wiggle room even if that meant losing a third set um so they never have had their backs against the wall in that kind of way they've had the pit game they did lose the first two sets we've had we've gone down 2-0 before um but never gave ourselves a chance to be like okay no we can actually still get this done and really believe in it and my if florida state was a tall team they like they they had some really good defense that made it causes a lot of problems they mentioned a lot of times on the broadcast of like there was a set rotation there that whenever it came about we just had a lot of trouble um and then the one time that we took advantage that we put it away was in the fifth set when we needed to we just got the one point down um and bergman played a lot more up front in this in the second in the last three sets than in the first two sets which was a good change um and there was there was a lot of nicole drew was really crucial to change the tempo, um, help the setting just get better in general. Um, all that to say, we're now hey, we're still ranked. We're we're still ranked amidst all this. Fiftieth straight week we are ranked as a program. So that is that is nothing to be uh, nothing to. Uh, what am I trying to say? That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. Um. So I've got a follow up, and it's going to take the form of a question. I've talked about Miami being an athletic team. They're typically a team that is in the tournament mix from the ACC. Um. That that not necessarily Louisville or Pitt uh, end of the spectrum. And quite frankly, it's a, it's a tier that Georgia Tech hadn't even been in uh, with any regularity uh, until the last couple of years. Uh, Miami, UNC, NC State is that region. But there's one more team that I'm kind of casually leaving out. I promise there's a point to this. Jack Akshay, I want you to take a guess. How many ACC volleyball teams since the founding of women's volleyball for the ACC, have made the final four? I know the answer to this. Jack, what'd you say? How many in total? Yeah, total. Well, we a total know, number of ACC final four appearances. I mean, we know Louisville's won. Um, forgetting if Pitt made it last year. Um, so, I, oh, they did? Okay, so there's at least two. All right, mm -hmm. I'll, throw, I'll just say there was three that I just may not be aware of. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it three. three. Only three in all of history. So before last year, there was one. It was Florida State in, I believe, 2011. So, yes, we did triple the, the total number uh, there. But the point I'm going with that is Florida State has been a team that always has recruited tall, athletic, and versatile scorers in volleyball. And I think that's something that makes them, you know, they're, they're not the Pitts and Louisvilles of the world, not through lack of effort, but more so they're just always in the mix right they're they're i think a more dangerous team than than we give them credit for and i'm glad uh that i believe we see them again right because it's them clemson louisville and, and florida state that we play twice so um yeah, yeah. i'm gonna pull up the volleyball schedule well y'all just mentioned how crazy that that bergman game was it, it just how insane she went went off in the last three sets um these are the the career highs she had was tied for the single game. Total attempts, 77, which was, um, I think, tied for fifth most in a game uh, for any player. Um, and then points. She had 42 and a half points. And that, that beat her. That was her first time over 40, I believe, um, which is nuts. And she did all this with a 338 clip, which usually she's hovering in like two, the 260s. Uh, and, and that's just which from. Which is good and above yeah. the team average, but she was our. Hit leader, our kill, hit percentage leader, our kill percentage leader, all, everything. Um, 
and she passed Brambia in the process on during Miami. Um, she's now very much in range to get to 500 kills this year because she did put up 38. Um, and probably there won't be another five set match unless we can push Pitt or Louisville to five. Um, just seeing we're hey. playing Florida State could be five again though. You never know. Um, Hopefully Pitt and Louisville's three apiece. You know. Yeah. <laughs> very quickly though, by winning for the Florida State game, that did not push us beyond the top 16. Um, I think there would have been a very decent argument to say, okay, maybe they're not in that realm anymore, but we got slotted 13th today. Um, and so probably still in range to get uh, home games come and see a tournament time because losing to Pitt and Louisville should knock us out of that because of uh, those are just good teams that we would have lost to anyways. So um, Before this weekend, and I, I think they showed this on the FSU broadcast, before this weekend, Tech was sitting around 21 in RPI. Uh, FSU was 32, so that yeah. bodes well. Um, but yeah. we'll have to see what the Miami game does to RPI just for a, you know, just to juxtapose that against those those placement spots, those those hosting, those top 16 spots. Well, do I have news for you? Because they've already published uh, Nitty Gritties uh, through 11-6. Uh, so that is that is you know, fairly recent. And currently Georgia Tech is sitting at 19th uh, in RPI, uh, adjusted RPI, uh, not the pure RPI metric. Uh, of course, that's behind the obvious Texas, Louisville, Stanford, Nebraska, Ohio State, Pitt, Wisconsin, Florida, San Diego, Kentucky, Minnesota, Oregon, Baylor, UCF, Creighton, and Marquette. We're top 16. Uh, but Georgia Tech's in the region of Rice and Houston, uh, as as well as Southern California, UNLV, and Purdue. So, um uh, again, Tech will likely get some sort of acknowledgement uh, of playing, quite frankly, one of the toughest schedules in the country. They see Pitt and Louisville twice each. Those are both top six teams. Uh, the obvious Ohio State, uh, BYU isn't too much farther below Tech. They're at 26. Uh, so again, it is it is a very tough slate. Uh, but then again, uh, it is also important to note that Florida State's sitting right at 30 and Miami at 33, um, as well as... Uh, uh, the folks from Athens we saw earlier in the year at 35. So really a, a pretty top-to-bottom um, comprehensive schedule. But I, I think, like we said, just seeing the top 10 teams that many times, it you know, you're know you penciling in five losses before the tournament starts if you can't get either the Louisville or or, uh, or Pitt contest. Yeah. Speaking of the remainder of the schedule, Tech will play Louisville at home on Friday. The next Friday, they will go to Clemson. The following Wednesday is at Pitt. And then the season finale on the same day as clean old-fashioned hate will be Florida State at home. I think that's actually counter-programming, interestingly enough. No reason for bringing that up. Um, but, yeah, so it does not get easier other than the Clemson game, which also can't be overlooked necessarily. It's a tough stretch down the road here. Yeah, the wins are not going to be easy to come by, and so you, you got to think you got to try and uh, steal one here on the way out. Speaking of stealing one, football in Virginia, in Blacksburg, Virginia, posted a twenty-eight to twenty-seven victory. They came back from a double-digit deficit in the fourth quarter. They uh, blew a double-digit double-digit lead in the first quarter. Mr. Grant, you were on site in Blacksburg. Why don't you, uh, before we get into talking about the game, why don't you give us a vibes report? Yeah, um, quite frankly, this is probably the, the 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 nicest and most hospitable fan base I've ever been to at while associating with the opposing team. Right, I've been I've been to. Notre Dame as a neutral fan. I've been to Wisconsin as a neutral fan. Northwestern. I guess I went to Northwestern as a ostensibly Northwestern fan. That was a long time ago. Um, but uh, it, it, in terms of just general like welcomeness and vibes, uh, it's pretty easy to find a spot to park. Uh, we almost parked on the active airfield because they were parking people on the grass inside the fence, which was very odd. Um, but uh, we were kind of, eh. Not feeling that, uh, so we went somewhere else. Found a a good price right in the middle uh, of uh, right in the middle of campus. Honestly, it was a pretty short walk to the stadium, uh, and, and the tailgate scene was was pretty lively there. So um, it was very um, nice to interact with everyone that we that we came across. Uh, I will say, 
uh, I would be remiss not to mention from uh, from the folks I was with that Virginia Tech did start doing the wave during a Georgia Tech player injury timeout in the second half. Uh, and that was also when the game turned. So uh, I think that one's karma. That probably was not very nice of them. But in terms of um, just general, like, niceness, like the stadium had a nice little atmosphere. It's tucked up in the mountains, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Very fall vibes. Um, nice little downtown after the game uh, for for a good uh, for a good dinner. And uh, and yeah, they they had their own beer. So I tried the hokey lager. I, I know that. Uh, I know that's always a, a favorite to hear about. Was the beer good? It's all right. I mean, it was really the only non, uh, I guess, classic option that you got. You know, Coors Light, McLeod, uh Ultra, Miller Light, uh, pretty standard, pretty standard fare. Otherwise, it was one. Of, it felt like one of those things like you can't get it anywhere else. Might as well try it. And it was, it was all right. It's probably like a dollar more or something like that. But, but it's it's a football game. You're not really in it for you know, a, a craft beer, I guess. Oh, we always Jack, expect you, high quality craft beer reviews on this podcast. Jack, are you going to boo me off the stage for not being a craft beer guy at football game too, or no? <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I couldn't, I wasn't there. I don't want to speak for all the options in Blacksburg quite yet. I just know that Virginia <laughs> is a high quality beer state. Hey, I'll take it. It, it was fine. You know, it, it, uh, it, it was fine. Um, but uh, in terms of otherwise, uh, I think I, I would hope that you guys got to revel in this. I know Jack did because he was uh, yeah. bailing me out because the cell phone reception in Lane Stadium, I don't know if it's all the metal keys in the air that they've got or what, mm -hmm. but I was literally hammering out tweet after tweet to send and nothing was going through. So I was just texting Jack, get that. <laughs> I can't, I can't yep. send it. But texts were going. Uh, Slack messages were coming in. And I was getting all the like notifications from Twitter, but nothing was going out uh, in in Slack or in uh, or in Twitter. So uh, Lane Stadium, work on that. But but otherwise, it's fairly fairly pleasant overall. Tell us about the game, Mr. Grant. Akshay, I would love to tell you about the game, given that Jack and I were definitely able to watch all of it. Um, I in hate terms of Valley sports so much. Actually, I don't hate Valley. It's Sinclair. Blame Sinclair specifically. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I don't really know the difference, but okay. Um, in terms of the actual gameplay, I, I thought it was probably our most, it sounds weird to say, but considering we were losing for a decent chunk of it, but most complete Brett Key game. I don't know. The pit game felt really kind of fluky to me. I mean, obviously we did get a, a number of turnovers in the Virginia Tech game as well, but I felt that Georgia Tech uh, in this game was able to button up tight on defense. Um, we had a couple exemplary uh, contributors, uh, Clayton Powell Lee comes to mind. He was flying all over the field uh, in terms of forcing turnovers, tackles for loss, um, all that good stuff. Um, the obvious, uh, Zach Pyron, uh, who basically came out and, and slung the ball over the field and kind of, I know this is putting the cart miles and miles and miles in front of the horse, but I feel like the Josh Allen comp in terms of he doesn't scramble all that great, but like, he could do it. I mean, he, he had that nice rush to, to to seal the win. Um, knocked home by Gavin Stewart. Mandatory Gavin Stewart. Shout out. Um, but uh, I, I think top to bottom, like uh, we saw that there's a lot of lot of gutsy contributors. I mean, not that neither team uh, is not that either team is is having too tremendous of a year. But I, I think uh, in terms of the rushing performance, Hassan Hall, Dante Smith, both were very solid. Uh, uh, almost all of our receivers had at least one highlight or, or big chunk play type catch. EJ Jenkins, Malachi Carter, Malachi grabbing one behind his head. That was wild. Um, and also Nate McCollum dancing down the sideline for a touchdown. Like it, it, it was a team win. Like it wasn't domination, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It was also the first one I ever saw on the road. So maybe I have a lot of nostalgia already. I also cannot give you any sort of numbers for this game because the advanced box score is a mess. Thank you, ESPN. That is all I have to say on the subject. Jack, you live-tweeted the entire thing. What did you think from the comfort of your couch? I I was really impressed with Pyron. I do like that, that Josh Allen comp in that it felt a lot like early Josh Allen, who was clearly very raw, but yep. had the you know he had the arm. 
he had the I don't give a crap what's about to happen. I'm just running forward and figuring it out as I go. Um, when Josh Allen did that, he he uh, pitched the ball to nobody in a, in a playoff game. Uh, Pyron did not do that, so he's got that on him. Uh, but no, the, his 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 run into the end zone was. I mean, I I don't want to say Sims wouldn't have done that, but um, Pyron's just had that. He just had that dog in him, you know. That's exactly what. Mr. Sims said on Twitter that it, I mean, it kind of looked, I mean, like he, there was a certain vibe to it that was different and I liked it a lot. Um, and it, it came across on television as uh, something to build Good. on as like, okay, there's something more stable here. I think his throws, there was two of his, the, the, his first two big throws. I don't know if you could see this Jake from the stadium. They, they were behind the receivers. They were complete bailouts by the receivers on that part and not on Pyron. Um, especially the first yeah. throw that was basically a one handed behind the, behind everyone that can see me demonstrating that's that's the malachi carter up the middle yeah whammy yeah Yeah. okay yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. so i I mean yeah he got bailed out but i mean no he still made the throw it was on target um he was it was within the within the reach of the receiver which is most important against a a two and five team that was vt so uh or two and four at the time i don't remember so and that uh, that's a kid in his first start too you know yeah no i yeah there was there was a lot of confidence there that was i mean I, i i in no way shape or form thinks this should be a game that should add to Brent Key trying to keep the job still. I think there's still a lot more we need to learn and I want to see I I want to see this again is the thing. Like we can do it Pit I agree was fluky-ish. Both this win and the both this win and the Pit win were turnover laden. Um but not on the not on our offense that it was it was defensive and they were getting the job done, but I want to see us I mean it is Miami so it'll be a little bit easier, but I still want us to actually put together two consistent games in a row that look similar and that build off of each other because we haven't done that yet. So, yeah, I, I think getting a second win in a row would, would, would be pretty big. Uh, I think it's wild that we could say that Virginia tech and Miami, if you were to say to like a 2008, 2009 Georgia tech fan, yeah, we're into the easy part of the ACC slate, Virginia tech and Miami. I know. Uh, they, I know. They probably would have slapped you, um, but you're right. Uh, in terms of one other name, I don't want to forget to shout out. Um, obviously, ACC linebacker of the week is is great enough, but but Charlie Thomas oh, yeah. had 16 tackles, a sack, and he forced a fumble. Uh, I feel like I, I, like there are still times when we're going to just strip the ball kind of thing, and I, I think you saw that uh, against Florida State a couple times, against UVA a couple times, and it hurt us. But in terms of um, actually being effective at getting the ball out. Uh, I, I think Tech's done a pretty good job in games that we've won, and it's really made a difference in, in winning that turnover battle. Uh, Virginia Tech being a, a great example. Pitt being another great example uh, in terms of just, you know, setting setting the team up for some success there. I've been looking for the advanced box score from Bill Conley for the last five minutes in the background here because it's really bothering me that I can't put numbers to this. I cannot describe how much it's bothering me. That I can't that I that I have to give you vibes and can't use hard data. The uh the other thing I do want to say is I saw this on Twitter literally walking into the stadium. I think it was the last last refresh I got of the app before I made it in. Um Georgia Tech had a bunch of players out with the flu. Uh noted by Ramblin' Rec uh by name, uh Mr. Powell Lee. Uh, but in terms of the rest of the team based on how it was tweeted or uh you know presented it does seem like it was pretty top to bottom in, in terms of um how do you say uh in, in terms of the team having it uh and of course it didn't, didn't stop clayton because he had an interception and a and a fumble um so not uh not bad at all there but uh i don't know that's a, that's a lot of heart right i feel like there's there's a lot of you know, just just it felt like they were fighting the whole time. They never gave up. Yeah. Go get your flu shots. That's all I have to say on that particular matter. Last word okay. before we move on, Mr. Grant. Yeah, a couple couple more odds and ends from the box score. Since I have to be the numbers guy this week, Ugh. Boo, um, don't don't patronize me. Uh, I'm suffering uh, here. I want to patronize GameOnPaper.com, and by that I mean go to it. But anyways, um, uh, Zach Pyron did lead lead Tech uh, to 463 yards of offense. Feels weird to say that that's our highest, given you know we used to just churn out 500 rushing yard games in the old regime. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, uh, that was that was pretty notable there, given that that is a season high. I cannot find the other stat I wanted to shout out, so it must not be important. Akshay, I'll uh, turn it back over to you. Final news and notes from football UNC. Uh, George Tech at UNC is a 5.30 kick. I have no idea what TV window exists that starts at 5.30, but okay. Uh, Miami, I believe, is a 3.30 kick on your local RSN next week, so be on the lookout for that at home. I think, if I know my schedule correctly, the only kickoff time that is still under discussion or still unavailable is clean old-fashioned hate and that is an sec kickoff time so who knows uh the last note i want to add is i was not able to watch this game thank you sinclair but i think we still have pretty good evidence like jack was saying that um or or at least we don't have enough evidence let me phrase it that way we don't have enough evidence that the staff needs to be retained right they need to do it multiple times they need to be consistent about it and they need to win games decisively um this was and i mean to like jack and jake you said they won this game and they did it and i um i mean despite the score i think based on the way that y'all have described it they did it pretty decisively um we'll just have to look at next week's game in which tech is somehow favored over Miami by a point and a half um, and see, and see what comes of it. Theoretically, a bowl game is still possible. That's what I'll say. Theoretically. Mm, Don't maybe, maybe don't marry yourself to that idea. Get, get, have a committed relationship, but don't get engaged to that idea. How about that? You're too far in the metaphor, my guy. We gotta, we gotta pivot to something else. How about we pivot to this short break? As always, uh, Science of the Southland is brought to you by Section 103. Uh, Section 103 is Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech's Georgia Techiest uh, apparel outlet. I feel like that's a pretty esoteric way to put that but section 103 is the place uh to start and end your journey for georgia tech related apparel uh given that it is basketball season uh for the men and the women uh it is the perfect time to get your welcome to the thriller dome section 103 teacher uh i think i say every week that the particular thing i'm shouting out is my favorite piece of section 103 apparel but uh for the time of the season uh nothing beats a welcome to the thriller dome t-shirt i used to refer to that as my home away from home in the winter in college and now you can don the logo uh, of the thriller dome uh, for you as well uh in terms of the deal uh the deal is always the same uh free shipping uh, 70 bucks and over keep an eye out uh steven has teased some new merch coming in addition to pre-orders for the coach brent key hoodie keep an eye out there and as always uh, interact with him at section 103 on twitter as well welcome back to scions of the southland for monday november 7th gentlemen we have reached basketball season in its fullest state the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets men's basketball team is currently just about halfway through their game versus Clayton State. They're a home opener. Unfortunately, we are here and not there podcasting. Uh, let's start by talking about what happened last year. And I'm going to kick it over to you, Jack, for this short recap. It was a good out of the gate. We were 7-1 and one, um, going into I mean, it was, obviously, it was the, the front part of the schedule where you try to put the the, uh, the cupcake games. Uh, but we still marched into the Wisconsin game on a really good note. Uh, there was a Wednesday, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday night, or they put it at 9 o'clock to get students in the building. It was a great atmosphere um, for the Big Ten ACC Challenge game. Uh, Wisconsin, I believe, was 24th ranked, I want to say, um, during this game. Um, I had a friend of mine who came in who was covering the game for the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh Heavy Schnabley, who came down, it was great to see her, and we it was just a it was a really lovely atmosphere. We only lost by four, seventy to sixty six. Um, but if you want, I think that that game showed that we had some heart, but there was just not enough to take it over the top. Wisconsin kind of gave it to us in a few spots, so that that game could have been a bigger loss. Uh, but we had a really it was a really there was like four thousand students, like insane. Like it was a great atmosphere, um, an intentionally built 
um, to have that kind of game. Um, and then after that, though, from December to January, only had three wins. We beat Georgia that year, though, last season. So, you know, and it, it was not close either. Like, it was in part between the two basketball teams, uh, Georgia did not have a shot. Um, and Pastner's first win against them. So, you know, good stuff there. Um, that J- December to January stretch, where we only won three games, one of them was against, at the time, um, against the top in the ACC Florida State team. Just the, the, the standings hadn't shaken out fully yet. So they were at the top. I think they fell pretty far come the end of the year. Um, but it was still a really fun, good win to have that. But it was still in the midst of where we just were not. The ACC just killed us last year, just in general. Um, and by the time we got to the ACC tournament, it was not going to be. Um, we we weren't poised to go far. Lost to Louisville in the uh, in the first round. Um, that's yeah, pretty much where we're at. I mean, granted, we were, we were going to take a step back because Moses was gone, Jose was gone. Um, so I mean, the emotional and physical co- core components of our team were gone, and uh, finding success in the G League or finding new contracts with the New Orleans Pelicans and going mano a mano on Chris Paul and not backing down. So. There, that's, I mean, right, so we're, we're, right now we're stocked with uh, some good returners. We got some good freshmen, including one. We got to decommit from Wisconsin uh, in the tag team we have with them somehow, and then get some transfers. So that's where we're at now. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, a little bit of flavor to give the Moses and Jose departures there are that the reigning ACC defensive and offensive, pl- or ACC defensive and overall player of the years uh, were those two departures. Um, So in addition to them being very well regarded on our team, very well regarded overall. But of course, those of you who are Georgia Tech fans already know that because, uh, you know, they were just such huge presences Uh, in in terms of those departures. Mike DeVoe, uh, he's with the Ontario Clippers of the G League coached by boys. Do you remember who he's coached by? No, why don't you tell us? Paul Hewitt, Georgia Tech's longest paid to not coach at Georgia Tech coach in the history of paying a coach to not coach at Georgia Tech. Uh, One of my favorite Georgia Tech traditions. Uh, And he's out there with Daryl LaBerry. Uh, So really just the Inland Empire. It's a great stellar staff, stellar, stellar staff creation in Ontario, California. You know, that's it. That's just the place to be, uh, you know, the Inland Empire. That's what I've always said. California's number one city. Maybe uh, in terms of other folks out and about, uh, Jordan Usher did play in the summer league, but he's over in Turkey playing for Eurobasket. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the Turkish team, but he, he, he's there, which is great. Um, and then you got Bubba Parham, who transferred to Stanford in terms of other departures. Bubba's been around. Around the block, uh, he's, I think, on year six. So um, this should certainly be his last year there. But uh, good for him trying to go find uh, a place to really start and be their main guy. The one thing I want to add here, I, I'm not a basketball expert, but the, the vibe that I got from this team last year was that they were stuck in neutral. They were stuck between two generations of players mm-hmm. in that they didn't really expect Michael DeVoe and Jordan Usher to come back for that extra year, they kind of expected um, both of those, those guys to move on off of the years that they had had with uh, Alvarado and, uh, and Moses Wright, but they stayed. And so Tech was stuck in between a older guard that had one style of play and then trying to slot in younger talent that was maybe more raw um, and needed time to develop at other positions. And it was just a very weird mix Right. They, they they would often play really great, like 18 minutes of basketball. And then the last two minutes of a half would be terrible, awful. Um, and, and they did this constantly. Jake, I think we went to multiple games where this happened and it was just it was soul crushing. So I want to re- ask if you remember the UNC game that was at home, and I'm going to leave it. I'd rather because, not because I know were, exactly where you're going with this. You were very cocky, and I think we all were. But uh, uh, yeah, no, you it saw that in the cockiness. LS. I was just very annoyed. Which never mind. Please continue. Yeah, I was going to say you saw it in the LSU game down at State Farms, uh, State Farm Arena, State Farm Center. I always forget. Anyways, that's a game that gave me COVID, and Georgia Tech went up 26 to like nine, and then. Uh, I think got outscored like 60 something to 20 something the rest of the way. It, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, but one thing that does flavor those departures was um, 
the relatively late announcement of Jose and Moses, which does, which does limit your transfer portal potential, which I think is a good way to segue into some of our incoming transfers uh, just for, for the sake of moving, you know, uh, not reminiscing too hard on the past because heaven knows I could do that forever. Uh, Lance Terry uh, being chief among those, along with Javon Franklin and Braden Daniels, uh, who actually came from Clayton State, who were playing tonight. So that's an interesting parallel there. Um, uh, Javon Franklin uh, was at South Alabama and Lance Terry. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I believe that was Auburn, right? He's been in a couple places, but I think most recently that would that would be Auburn, correct? Your guess is better than mine. Mm, Gardner Webb. Did he go to Auburn at some point? Maybe it was Javon Franklin that went to Auburn. I don't know. I'm all over the place. Clearly, this is great podcasting. Terry Incredible. started tonight. Fun fact. Good. The uh, at the at the risk of, you know, committing a rights violation, uh, I will note that Georgia Again. Tech has has six fouls uh, and Clayton State two. So it's good to see that uh, more beloved Tech traditions. Uh, hang on there. Uh, in terms of those incoming transfers, though, uh, you want to keep an eye on Terry and, and Franklin in particular. Uh, Franklin is a, a 6'7", uh, 214 um, transfer. Uh, again, he's from South Alabama. He was the all Sun Belt Conference third team player uh, last year and, and did uh, enroll after the 2022 season. He appeared in almost, every, I think, every game. Uh, South Alabama played and started 31 of them uh, and was pretty effective in terms of in terms of offense. Uh, so that was uh, uh, one good addition. Great to see. And then also uh, the Lance Terry addition. Uh, Lance is a 6-2, uh, again, transfer originally from College Park. Um, and it is good to note that he was also a, uh, a well-regarded Big South player as well. Uh, any other notes on the transfers? I think for my piece, and I, we talked about this last week too, with regards to women's basketball, it's interesting to see how that how the portal is being used to replace players with proven talent. I think there's still that risk of, um, you know, we saw it in football, and I mentioned this last week, where you have too many transfers that leave, and now you are suddenly starting a team of mostly freshmen. Um, just because of how rosters work. And that can definitely be detrimental to a staff who would like to, you know, continue to be employed. But it, it, I mean, we'll, we'll see if this strategy works. I think it's, it, it definitely, you know, tech has hit on some of their transfers, uh, Jordan Usher for sure. Um, and, and a couple others, I think Bubba Parham was, was good in, in his limited time, uh, but they're going to need to hit on, hit real good on a couple of these guys. And I think it'll prove the, uh, the sort of efficacy of uh, Pastner's new model. Uh, James Banks too. James Banks is a good, good call out there as well. Um, it'll prove the efficacy, the efficacy of this model of roster construction at tech. I think this class specifically. Yeah. I think uh, one, one thing to note there, uh, just kind of a, a through line that we've seen in successful passenger teams, whether it's the NIT team led by uh, one Ben Lammers, uh, the James Bank, James Banks team uh, that did finish strong uh, and finished the season with a win, uh, which only like three teams in the country can usually say, but that's what happens when you're banned from the postseason. Um, and also uh, Moses Wright, <laughs> Moses Wright in the ACC championship team uh, during COVID. Um, but all, all, all those teams had really successful big men. Uh, I think that's why that's kind of pointed me towards, uh, you know, an important metric metric of success or driver of success in the passner scheme in the passner offense is a big dude uh whether that is on defense uh not fouling you know giving people trouble and clogging up the middle as well as being uh kind of a a key safety valve uh for that offense as well i can just remember ben lammers running back and forth at the top of the key uh and then just whoop, you know that that was him you know he, it, it worked and and that option uh was always there and, and that team did see some relative success uh i think that dovetails pretty well uh into uh kind of pivoting away from terry and frank uh over towards i think the player and, and you guys can stop me if i'm getting too far out of my skis here that the season hinges on a notable returner by the name of rodney howard mm. walk this out for me mr grant see rodney howard is for all intents and purposes out of the james banks mold he is a large guy um 
not particularly agile, but he's somebody that can clog up the middle on defense. Uh, and again, that that aggressive defensive style that Passner does play uh, requires doing that without fouling. If you want to be in any anywhere close to a, a position to be able to win, uh, and, and it's kind of always been the offensive safety valve, right? It, it's it's high percentage shots, dunks, layups, you know, just just that uh, that quick release jumper uh, from from the elbow. Uh, I, I think, yeah, Ben Ben Lammers on the right elbow does stand out in my mind, but. Moses Wright, by the time he was all ACC, you know, player of the year type uh, type caliber, that was that was something he could hit from almost anywhere uh, from, from about that free throw uh, distance in a nice arc around uh, around the basket there. Uh, and, and then I think that that's your safety valve, right? You, you, this is never particularly, though that could change this year, and we can get to that in a second, been a team that's been uh, sharpshooters, I would say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I have seared in my brain uh, some past Passner teams there, but uh, but the big man as the safety valve, uh, I think, is something that the team needs just to be fully fledged. Right? You, you can't put it all on sophomore shoulders of Debo and Miles, uh, Debo Coleman, Miles Kelly, um, or uh, a senior Kyle Sturdivant to to really be knocking down every three that they take. One thing before we move on to talking about the aforementioned Kelly uh, and Coleman in our returning starters and returning contributors section is that a lot of that big man development was run by Eric Reveno, who is now at Oregon state as an assistant. So it'll be interesting to see how they have backfilled his position because I actually have not kept up with the staff changes, but it'll be interesting to see how they've backfilled that position. And also from a tactical standpoint, how they have adjusted for the quality of big man the relative quality of big men that they're able to put on the floor, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. I'll be curious to see if just how he has any stat jumps, if any at all, because he only ever played two games. He played he played in twenty four games in eight in nineteen and twenty when he was playing at Georgia, and then only nineteen his first year here, and then twenty seven and started twenty five last season. I mean, his minutes count uh, went up like five hundred in total. Like he played two thirds of his college minutes last year. Um, so I, it, I just one he had a building year, and now he's got a, an actual year to build off of a consistent play and knows how to do this properly um, against a tough schedule. I mean, he'll, he'll have consistent he'll have consistent opponents finally um, that he's seeing all over. Um, and she, he shot fifty six percent from the field last year, critically only sixty one percent from the free throw line. So I mean, I would hope that there's just some there's a there's a few points here and there that'll help in terms of being a better linchpin and getting stuff there because free throw shooting just in general at georgia tech not a uh not a great skill we have hey i i stole the my the sarcastic favorite georgia tech tradition from i believe nishant out of our writer's room uh who described missing the front end of a one-on-one or a one-and-one uh, late in late in a half for basketball is his favorite track tradition but in, in terms of i think sucks, uh, by the way they they did that all the time and the only time that they didn't was in that acc championship run Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, I'm not saying uh, it's not. I'm not saying it's correlated or anything. Just saying it. Just putting it out there. Uh, anyways, I was gonna say the the takeaway the 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 through line here that I think we can tie it back to last year in particular is just what Devoe and Usher leaving means to Georgia Tech. Uh, these were two guys who were very talented, uh, but I think by the end of last year. Akshay, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, given that you were the other half of the podcast at the time. I was kind of at the point where I was ready to just, you know, wish the Jose Alvarado era well uh, and, and live fondly in my memories. But it kind of felt like like Usher and, and DeVoe were taking up quite a lot of minutes that I'm interested to see filled with more opportunities, in particular for Miles Kelly and Debo Coleman, uh, but also for somebody like a, a Jordan Mecca or a, or a Davon Smith, who really closed out the year strong in particular. Davon was pretty, I, I think, inconsistent uh, in the first half of the year, but by the end of the year, especially after he had gotten some ACC experience under his belt, I thought that all four of those players really came along and, and brought something interesting to the table. I think it, it comes back to what something we led with, right? Like this team was stuck in neutral for a large portion of last season. And that's just because they didn't fully, there's no like great way to say this, but they didn't fully get out of that mode, uh, that Jose Alvarado, Moses Wright era. 
Um, they were stuck between the expectations of, oh, you now need to make the tournament again. And, but, oh, you're now doing it with two of your best contributors historic, like historically. So ever, and also by minutes, right? It's not like Josh Pastler plays a particularly long bench. He was playing a seven man bench at, at, if at most for most of that ACC championship year, but but yeah, so that, like you said, that limits the amount of time that some of these returners can get. And you mentioned a bunch of them. Kyle Sturdivant is also another one. I don't, I don't, I didn't hear his name called that before, but, but also him, right? Like there are six guys on this list that come back from last year and a bunch of them because Michael DeVoe and Jordan Usher were on the roster. And obviously we're, we're happy to have them on the roster, but because they were on the roster, they they get that growth and development from playing ACC teams stunted at a, at a critical period for both them and the program. But now they're able to get that opportunity and they're able to, to develop, right? They're able to develop against that ACC caliber of opponent. I would note, though, I mean, like, you don't want to also throw away a season. Like, I mean, it's this is yep. not pro basketball. Like, you, the, the, the great part about college basketball is there is no reason to lose. Like you can't go tank. win. Like there's no such yeah. You can't tank for draft picks. You can't tank for a better transfer portal slot. Now, if they have ranked priority in the transfer portal, now we're talking. Anyways, that's a whole other theory on a podcast. Welcome to the allocation list, my friend. Yes. Welcome to MLS. That said, I mean, yeah. What I, does I, that even mean? A Sorry, lot of a, a lot of the. Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of the issue with that team though is like you had to. They had a lot of inexperience. They had to get in there somehow, but still be stabilized and have something to work around and half of the thing you would you're working around the year before was gone and so you're left with a very smooth shooting point guard um and a guy and and, and usher who had a lot of it and usher i would say was just like the the energy core of this team too i mean devoe was great but yeah um you lose i mean that was kind of the identity was like running it through them and just praying to god rodney howard was worth something so i have a big time take and this is the perfect podcast to workshop it on all right. Well, are we are we keeping this take in the oven? Like, are we proving? Yeah. No. Like, no. I'm, I'm saying it right now because it's, it's time. It's time. It's a full bake take. It, it's it's ready for you guys to enjoy. Michael Debeau last year was the Julia Bergman of this year's volleyball team. Lots and lots of the offense run through them. Mm-hmm. Not particularly efficient. Not a lot of help. New pieces all around. I think that's a pretty fair, fair parallel. Maybe for somebody who doesn't watch the team. I guess, I guess probably more of our listeners watch more men's basketball regularly, but so it doesn't really get them more into basketball. But hopefully you guys watch volleyball too. But I, I think that's about as close of a parallel as you can draw, at least from from recent Georgia Tech sports. In terms of in terms of inside text teams, I would agree there. Yes. I think there is yeah. still a degree of well, we still have players that can take over if Julia's off and have yeah. in, in wins. And then when it's just like, we've got nothing else working, we have that person to just take care of business. Um, so in that sense, yeah, no, I, 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 I could see that for sure. Um, but I'm just yeah. trying to paint the picture back together. You know, yeah, like that, yeah. I feel like that's a fair comparison for somebody who may not watch one or the other. I think that you know, does last put year DeVoe on too high a pedestal to relative to the rest of the, the sport that they're in. Um, Cause my yeah. DeVoe is currently not starting for a national team as far as I can tell. Um, so <laughs> Jesus, Josh, ice cold. Josh Okogi. Competition's is LeBron Julia James. Though, so I'll give him a break. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're moving on. We're 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 moving on. Uh before we before we go to season predictions, Mr. Grant, talk to me about incoming freshmen. Yeah, uh, there's a couple on the list. Uh Cyril Martinov, uh, that's the guy Jack mentioned as the decommit from Wisconsin. He's starting a year early. He reclassified. Uh he's tall and long. Uh, I believe he's taller and longer than Rodney Howard. Tall off the top team. of my head. Yes. And then we got a not- guy not named Fred but named Fred's and not named Paul, but named Paul's Fred's Paul's, uh, man, that's a Lithuania. If I ever heard one, that's one of my people right there. We don't, we don't see a lot of those around here. Um, that said, um, I, I don't want to be uh blase to the incoming freshman. I feel like I've sat on my hands waiting to see more miles Kelly all year though. I don't have a lot of opinions on them. I just say, Hey, uh, Cyril, I hope you can be tall because, you know, <laughs> Rodney's got to take a break at some point. I feel like everything else will, will will work itself out. 
Rounding out that list, by the way, Emmer Nichols and Jermonta Hill. Jermonta Hill was a red shirt last year. Mr. Grant, walk me through what this schedule looks like for 22-23. Well, we're currently tied with Clayton State, so that's not a great start. Um, but that being said, there's still another half to play, so go tune in. I mean, I guess this comes out after the game ends, so hopefully we win. Watch That'd the replay, why don't you? <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of the rest of the schedule, um, in terms of a passenger schedule, I think it's relatively aggressively scheduled. You usually um, we tend to load up on a lot of SWAC, MIAC type teams. Yes, Clayton State is a counting game for us, uh, but in terms of quality of opponents, um, Georgia State uh, perennial in the mix for that Sun Belt title. Um, we have a number of Power Six level teams, and by Power Six, I mean Big East and Power Five. Don't you get me confused there? Um, but uh, we'll get a couple of those games out in the non-con between Iowa and our Fort Myers tournament. Uh, we'll see UGA as always. And then, of course, the ACC. I think it'll be up from last year. I think it got uh, a little bit undersold in terms of in terms of quality last year. Uh, and as always, we'll see, we'll see Clemson twice. I believe we'll see Louisville twice. Uh, we'll see Notre Dame twice. And mm, I don't know the other two off the top of my head. Uh, I apologize. Um, maybe Pitt, but uh, there's winnable games there. There's path to wins. And uh, yeah, Georgia Tech, uh, it, it's a long year. Basketball's a, a long season. We're going to be talking about these guys in, in, in four plus months still. And yet they're tied with Clayton State right now. Oh, no, they're not. Sure. <laughs> they're losing to Clayton State. <laughs> Mine's ahead of you. They got tied at half. Oh, this is a rights violation, by the way. Uh, Mr. Grant, I want to turn this back to you for one last question. We did the reverse of this question last week, um, or a similar question last week. What? How will I be feeling about this team in March, in your opinion? Like I said earlier, I think Rodney Howard is someone that the season is going to hinge on. Uh, but I think you're going to be feeling pleasantly surprised uh, in March. I feel like people had... Pretty high expectations last year. I think those expectations were certainly not met, uh, but I think this team is certainly one. Uh, maybe not like bubble for sure NCAA tournament, but I, I think um, host around to the NIT is certainly, certainly doable. It would just require some people to step up. I, I think most people will be pleasantly surprised. I'm not guaranteeing anywhere close to an NCAA tournament bid, though. Okay, turning it to you. Mr. Purdy, what is the one thing that they will have to execute extremely well on to achieve Jake's prediction? I would say offensive chemistry. Uh, figure out how to run that and figure out how to run it well and at least have something you can bank on. Um, I wouldn't say this is going to be a, a – I don't from what, from the games that I went to last year, it didn't feel like a – I mean, it, it felt like a team that could put up some points, but also at times just had nothing defensively. So I'm just going to bank on the thing that I know worked really well at times. Um, and if you can figure – especially if you can figure out the Rodney Howard piece and how to use that guy effectively um, and create some sort of in-out game, some sort of good uh, uh, – pick and roll stuff something just find pieces that work and build off of it um and maybe we're maybe we're not looking at the bottom of the barrel in the acc fair enough anything else about men's basketball for their season preview gentlemen no sir we will have plenty of writing on it so don't do not fret if we did not talk about enough about it here and we've talked about a lot of it. I think we went 30, something like 30 minutes. I don't know. I don't have a clock on my screen for that particular segment, nor will I for this week's ACC picks. Gentlemen, we start on Saturday at noon on the RSN. Virginia Tech, 2-7, and seven, faces 6-3 and three Duke. It's weird to say that out loud. Duke is favored by 10 points. Mr. Grant, what say ye? I feel like in my head, when I don't know who these teams are playing, I just kind of assume they're playing each other uh, in the back of it. Uh, I think Duke is definitely the better team. Haven't seen both of them live. Uh, Duke's at home. Not that that gives them too much of an advantage, but I, I think Duke takes care of business. They, Mike, Mike Elko ain't going to take them to the Orange Bowl or anything, but they're a solid team. Duke's mail. Count it. Uh, Mr. Mr. Purdy, what you got? Duke, Duke, Duke. Tickets are as low as $22 for Wallace Wade Stadium. That seems pretty hot. I'm just saying. Moving to noon on the ACC Network in a game that I watched on ACC Network earlier this weekend. Pittsburgh plays Virginia in football. 
except it's not a ACC tournament quarterfinal and it's not soccer this time. Mr. Purdy, pit favored by four. What say ye? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, I mean, Virginia beat us, but I don't, I don't think they'll beat Pitt. Weather's 48 degrees and sunny in Scott Stadium, Mr. Grant. What say you? That sounds like great football weather, to be honest. Uh, I'm going to take Pitt. Uh, I think that line is definitely in a place where they can cover. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 Virginia beat us, but I still don't believe in him. Speaking of a very, very strange game, not believing in one team, Louisville versus Clemson at Memorial Stadium in Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson favored by seven after getting dumpstered in South Bend. Mr. Grant, you have the con. So, you know, there are now multiple full graduating classes that have not seen Clemson lose at home. Like, that's kind it, of we're going if, if they don't do it if they don't do it this year that's that's three in a row uh i don't think satterfield is the man to do it though so i think i think we're close to getting a full university of kids that have never seen clemson lose lose with their own eyes but they storm the field every game so that's totally what matters mr purdy you're up the clemson will win they do not storm the field they have a good picnic out there they walk to the field Bizarre tradition. 3.30 on ACC Network. Boston College visits NC State. Both of these teams are in weird spots. Jeff Halfley is kind of in the twilight zone of coaching right now. Uh, Mr. Purdy, you're up first. NC State by 19.5 is the line. That sounds right. Uh, Boston College got nothing on the Wolfpack. Boston College notably lost to UConn a couple weeks ago. Mr. Grant, what say you? NC State may be the most anonymous top 25 team there is this year, but they're still worlds better than BC. Give me NC State. Moving on to 7.30 on ESPN2, North Carolina versus Wake Forest. Wake Forest favored by three and a half. Mr. Grant. You know what? Uh, I think North Carolina's looked like a more complete team this year. Uh, this does count as a conference game this year, I believe, so good for them. Uh, I, I think I think North Carolina squeaks one out here. Mr. Purdy. I am picking Wake Forest because that is what helps Tech the best, and I want to root for that. So that is what I will do. Fair enough. Uh, interestingly enough, this is like, what, two weeks after Wake Forest completely melted down versus Louisville? Interesting note. 8 p.m. on ACC Network, your nightcap at the formerly known as Carrier Dome. Florida State visits number 20 Syracuse, but Florida State is favored by six and a half. Mr. Purdy, you have first pick. I would like to pick the Seminoles in this game. Interesting choice, Mr. Grant. Uh, I think Florida State's going to take the win and that number 20 ranking after this. Florida State is a very weird, weird team. They also dispatched Miami handily this past weekend. So interesting to think about. Uh, Single picks of the week, gentlemen. Jake, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I'm uh, picking this one to own the Liberties. Uh, that would be Liberty at UConn. Uh, UConn is five and five. Uh, a win here sends them bowling. Uh, yeah, tickets are only ten bucks, and Liberty's favored by almost fifteen. But stranger things have happened, uh, and uh, you know what? I don't know if they're going to win, but I think UConn's going to put up a fight, and I think they'll cover. Mister Purdy, what you got for me? Well, trying to pick. I guess that how we actually format this thing. I realized that I picked what the Sickos game of the week was. So I'm now just shifting to what I think the Sickos game of the week will be, to which I am picking the Auburn Texas A&M game, who no one thought this would be a 3 and 6 versus 3 and 6 game, more because of Texas A&M and not Auburn. Auburn this was always a possibility from the get-go. Uh so this just seemed I've never seen a better worse SEC game in in my time of watching that conference. That's not a sicko game. That's a sickening game, personally. Uh, for my for my bet, I picked uh, FAU versus FIU. Both of these teams, I believe, are four and five, but FAU has one more win in conference in, in CUSA. Uh, for some weird reason, I feel like 16 points is way too much credit to give a team that's led by Willie Taggart. So FIU, plus 16, let's ride. Anything else, gentlemen? Any more picks? Any more takes? Any more 
discussion as we reach one hour and 25 minutes on this recording? I would like to eat dinner. <laughs> that is my take. You don't eat dinner at 830? Damn. Yeah, I'll take us out. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, as always, this has been Science of the Southland. I'm Jake. Uh, and for Jack and Akshay, you can find us at from therumbleseat.com. Uh, like, comment, or I guess rec, comment, uh, and share our articles that go up with this, as well as the great content from the site, from football to volleyball, women's basketball preview uh, in paper form coming soon. Uh, in terms of Twitter, you can find us at FTRS blog. Uh, I'm at Jake Grant. Jack is at Jack Nicholas. As always, thank you to our partner and uh, friend, Section 103. Uh, you can find them at Section 103 on Twitter, section103.com. Give us your feedback. Give us your comments. Let us know what you want to hear. Uh, we're always interested. Go read Engineering a Program. Keep your eye on the sky uh, for the podcast symbol uh, in case any breaking news comes out. And you can find us wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Good night. Good luck. Go Jackets. Uh-huh.